10 years, 190 races. Sergio Perez is a Formula One Grand Prix winner. Don't pay attention to our Instagram bios. It's Motorsport 101. Great Harrison back at it once again and welcome to episode 283 of Motorsport 101 here. Coming to you live from the Motorsport 101 Discord server where we are recovering from probably Formula 1's race of the year. That was an absolutely chaotic uh, race, especially in the second half. Um, let's just say the hype was very much real on not the Roval, but the indeed the Bar Rhombus. Um, we and, stand uh, the Bar Rhombus here in this Discord. <laughs> oh, we stand it so hard. It is our baby now, and we must endorse it for, to be on the F1 calendar every year. I say we expand the calendar to 24 races, and we have a Bar Rhombus at the start and the end of the year. Like, uh, that is a, I say one every a, six races. I'm good with this. They're all worth double points because the people will try extra hard to pass in the back oval of the track. Um, I'm here for all of this. But uh, we will get to one of the craziest F1 races we've had in the hybrid era so far. Yes, you are reading that correctly. Sergio Perez is finally a Grand Prix winner after 190 Grand Prix. Um, uh, 10 years of trying. 10 years of frustration. <laughs> it's, it is wild that uh, Esteban Ocon getting his first career podium is barely registering on the F1 crazy story shit scale index, to say the least. Um, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the inevitable uh, triumph and heartbreak of George Russell's uh, Mercedes debut. All the backmarker support and just generally a hectic race. And we haven't even mentioned the Formula 2 finale yet because, uh, holy shit, uh, we have a new champion in Formula 2. And uh, we had we had to get through quite a lot of chaos to get to that point. But uh, it's a good weekend to be a Schumacher and it's a good weekend to be an Indian sports. More on that later as well. But with me as always, we have RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello, hello! Yes, races like the Secure Grand Prix are why we watch Formula One, why we sit through so many dreadfully mundane, processional, boring races where we have to subject ourselves to the tired, shitty narratives of Formula One social media. Somehow, in the end, it's all worth it because of moments like this. Well, mostly worth it. Okay, just races like this are the ones that make it worth it somehow, I think. Just about. Maybe. Uh, with me as well is Mr. Playoff Beard, Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, hello. Uh, I should also note to everyone at home, because of how early in the episode Trey swore, I'll have to be... I'll have to censor him. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Sorry, King. I, I sincerely apologize for the extra ten seconds of editing work that has to get put in. Okay. Um, I, I have a question. Mouth. Um, if you're if you're if you're up three points, and you have one play left, uh, what are you calling on defense? <laughs> I am I am literally just gonna line up on the goal line. So whatever happens, nothing's going in. That man orchestrated a <laughs> bounty system with another team. <sighs> Amazing. Like, I, I call it a playoff beard. Like, in other words, the beard will be around until the New York Jets win a game, so it'll probably come off sometime in 2022. Let's go! Um, tank for Trevor! Let's go! A, a, a most wonderful, perfect tank. A tank so hard it would end up on an episode of Urinating Trees this week in Sports Ball. With me as well is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. The at 500 Cam Buckley, because the Patriots are 6-6, six and six, and honestly... Considering what we've got, that's a win for us. Yes! We are so startedly mediocre. It's beautiful. <laughs> we are quite literally the definition of mid. We are mid! It's where we want to be. It's mid. mid. It's delicious. Mid. Mid. I wish, mid. I wish mid. my team was mid. Yo, no, your team, was your team is as bottom it. as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> it's like our team we're, color we're now... is this shade of green for a reason. Bogey green. Um, 
So all of that and much, much more in the next hour or so on Motorsport 101. But let's run down the general housekeeping and run down the places you can find us. We're on YouTube.com, as you can probably tell right here and now, if you're watching us on there. If not, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Subscribe, hit the bell, get notifications when new videos go up, including one I put out. Today, on the day of recording, uh, December 9th, talking about the situation at Mercedes and their future, which we'll inevitably discuss in more detail, probably in the next 20 minutes or so. Um, we're also on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to find our personal handles, they're on the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. And if not, they're in the d description down below. If not, um, we're at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and C Buckley 917 um, And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. I almost said Twitter for a second there. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport Sport 101. Five dollars gets you early access to all of the audio versions of our shows. You can upgrade to the gold ten dollars tier for all the video versions of the podcast as well, and get into the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. As are a bunch of people in our Discord right now. As usual, thanks to Toki, to Vince, to Jason, to Joseph and Vic, all listening in. Hope you guys enjoy the show tonight. It should be a doozy. And, of course, you can find all those details and so much more on our website, motorsport101.com. Expect a nice old season review for Formula 1 up there in the next week or so at the time of recording. Um, so, without further ado, let's get into the rhombus for the Sakir Grand Prix. The eyes of the F1 world were watching as George Russell took to his extremely crammed Mercedes W11 as Lewis Hamilton's COVID-19 substitute. Allegedly, Stoffel Van Dorn is still in his hotel playing Warzone as we speak. Probably via PS3. He proved to be ultra-competitive oh. right from the off. <laughs> Qualified just 0.026 of a second off pole position behind his teammate Valtteri Bottas, with Max Verstappen close behind in third, and the one-run king, Charles Leclerc, taking a walk-off fourth. No, seriously, he walked off halfway through the session. It was good enough for fourth decent lap. <laughs> Race got underway and within 20 seconds we had Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc in a wall, the latter causing a lockup and clattering into Sergio Perez at turn four, Max taking evasive action to the gravel and then the wall itself being unable to control his car. Sergio Perez had to change, had to change a front wing and dropped to 18th. Remember that, it becomes important later. Oh boy does it become important later. I've been waiting weeks to say that again on this podcast. And George Russell took the lead off the first quarter and didn't really look back, breaking off an eight-second lead under the first round of pit stops, Valtteri losing badly on the undercut. Meanwhile, Sergio Perez mounted a furious comeback through the field and by lap 50 of 87 was running fourth after an early safety car stop. The race, however, got flipped on its head on lap 55 when Jack Aitken spun out of the final corner the front wing being left on the track causing another safety car. One lap later, Mercedes tried to double stack their cars in response, but a radio failure in Russell's garage caused the team to put Valtteri's front tyres on Russell's car. As Mercedes corrected their error, Mercedes Bottas lost over 30 seconds, while Mercedes realised and forced Bottas to continue on his well-used hard tyres. A lap after that, Russell had to come in again to get rid of Valtteri's set, which incurred an investigation from the stewards, because in shocking news, you can't run your teammates' tyres. More on that later, but it dropped George Russell to fifth, which somehow promoted Sergio Perez to the lead of the race ahead of Ocon, Stroll and Bottas. It didn't last long though, as Russell pulled off a spectacular move on the chicane to retake Bottas and charge for the lead. Which is what would have happened if George Russell didn't suffer a left rear puncture with eight laps to go. Russell was out of the was out of the running for major points, which left Sergio Perez somehow in his 190th career Grand Prix from 18th on the opening lap to win his first career Grand Prix, the longest an F1 driver has ever had to wait in the sport for their first. Esteban Ocon took his first career podium finish in second, with Lance Stroll third to complete a 40-point weekend for Racing Point, their best ever result in the sport, and the first Mexican Grand Prix victory in 50 years. Heartbreak, though, for George Russell as he could only manage ninth and a fastest lap bonus point in a race he was destined to win. 
Thankfully, due to that radio failure, only a €20,000 fine and not a disqualification for the Mercedes driver. Whatever the result, a star was born. Whew, where do we even start on this Guys, one, what, fellas? What the fuck? What the fuck was that race? It was <laughs> awesome. That's what it was. Oh, so, my oh, goodness. that got me out of my chair. That had me excited. Yeah, Again, to, 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 take a stout, to take a stout back for a second, besides the shenanigans that we talked about in the in the recap. We saw some good wheel-to-wheel action at the, on the bottom yes. office. Like, this yes. layout it, actually produced good racing. How? Yeah. <laughs> and, and surprisingly just, enough, what it wasn't, it wasn't a DRS fest. We have them actually know, fighting right? on all three sectors of the track. Yeah, it's everywhere. amazing. Somehow, they nailed it. Can I just get into a couple things as well? Um... Pietro Fittipaldi at Haas, standing in for an injured Romain Grosjean, and Jack Aitken, who, because George Russell got called up to Mercedes, ended up filling in for Williams. Both drivers making their Formula One Grand Prix debut, and can I say they did a fantastic job giving the circumstances. Yes, they were nowhere near the points, but Fittipaldi had a good account of himself. He brought the car home in one piece. Jack Aitken was seriously quick. He was threatening to out-qualify Nicholas Latifi on his Grand Prix debut. And up until the key point of the race, that incident where he knocked the front wing off and brought out that safety car, Aitken was doing quite well uh, for himself, too. Um, they yeah, like different circumstances. Yeah, they absolutely. did what they yeah. did. Yeah, they, they, did a, they did a very solid job. I actually remember seeing the clip of uh, Haas's radio to Pietro after the race, and he said, look, Pietro, you were only four seconds off your teammate in the end. You you were very fast all weekend long, and they thanked him for all the hard work, and Pietro just said it was it was a fucking dream. <laughs> it was literally the words he used. It was a dream. Thank you so much for all the, for all the help and support. It was actually one yeah. of the most genuinely wholesome messages of the day, and we had quite a few of those for obvious oh, yeah. reasons. Um, and yeah, again, they both drivers. You like the best compliment I can say about these dudes over the weekend was that it didn't feel like it was their first Grand Prix. Like Aitken held a pretty solid account of himself out there, as did Pietro, and that's all you can really ask for given the circumstances. Yeah, um, it felt like they were they were ready for the moment. Is the best absolutely. way to put it. They uh, the moment wasn't too big for them to step into no. the Formula One world. Indeed, yeah. and it really shows like how many drivers out there are ready to be in Formula 1. They might not be, you know, top-of-the-line, Grand Prix victory contending drivers in terms of skill, but there is certainly... Not a, yet. Like, not yet, but there's certainly a lot of people who are ready to at least get a day in the sun behind in yeah. the seat of a Grand Prix car. Yeah, see, yeah. King, that was the thing, because it come up, like, one of my friends was discussing how, like, a lot of these junior series don't really develop drivers the way that they used mm. to, but I'd say they're still pretty ready, even though they'd only been given short notice. Can we also talk about how Lance Stroll got it on the podium? And I know his teammate's going to get all the plaudits, but I know Stroll needed that because he's been hurting for points for a while. Esteban Ocon in second. I have wow. long... Yeah been lauding his potential and wondering when he was going to realize it. And I know this has been kind of a down year because he spent it largely in Daniel Ricciardo's shadow. And now that Fernando Alonso is coming in, everybody's going to be worried like, ooh, is Esteban Gokhan going to become Staffel Van Doren number two? He needed a result like this. He did not put a foot wrong. It was no. a terrific drive from him. And yeah. I yeah. hope that this is only the start of bigger and better things to come from him. Yeah, I want Alcon's to say... Go ahead. Go ahead, Drake. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to say, I think that's Renault's best result in a Grand Prix since 2011. Yeah. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, nearly a decade since Renault had a second place finish. Three podiums uh, this year. King. Three. The blueberry pie bet's looking, I don't know. No, no. Warmer. The banana, the <laughs> banana bet was no, looking banana. real dangerous for a second. Yeah. Woo. The banana bet's dead. Long live the blueberry pie bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Ocon, I, I really rated Ocon before this year, and it's been rough. I think less because he's been poor, but because Daniel Ricciardo's been especially really brilliant. Mm -hmm. But Ocon drove a fantastic race. Really did. Yeah, And Great held race. off what was 
Lance is a frustrating one. Lance could have very easily won this race, but spent a lot of the race trying to set Ocon up for the main straight when what he should have been doing and what his teammate eventually earned a win with was setting him up for the second straight. But huge points for racing point in the W10 R at this point. <laughs> I guess. Man, I don't and, even care uh, that it's a copy-paste versus 2019 Mercedes. They, this uh, thing goes. And we should really speak about the man of the hour. Eight years we've been waiting. Eight That's years right. since Malaysia 2012. That's he the day did I it! Became, he got his day. first win. That is the day I became a Sergio Perez fan. The day I woke up too. and realized that he pushed for an Ando Alonso to an inch of his life in mixed conditions of Malaysia. And he almost won in Italy that year, too. And so yeah, hunting Perez Lewis is... Hamilton the fuck down at the end of that race. And what a time a for Sergio... What a time for Sergio to do this. When his future is still very much in question, and he's been strained together very good performances. He's arguably had the best year of his tenure career thus far. And I wouldn't say to, arguably. Uh, yeah, to, to go out of this season with a win when everybody is talking about how how unfortunate it would be if he doesn't have a ride next year in a very competitive driver market. I think that was very special. Honestly, if he had decided right then and there, look, I'm, my future's not certain. I want to walk away a winner. I would have understood. But I think now this really does, um, I think this does solidify that Sergio Perez deserves a place somewhere on the Formula One grid. It's a shame it's likely going to come at the expense of Alexander Albon, who is a is a very nice man. And in any other circumstances, we'd be talking about a sixth-place finish for him is very encouraging, but mm. not for him today, given given no. the given the circumstances. And, uh, oh, boy. That, Especially that should... considering the only team that's usually ahead of Red Bull on raw pace ended up behind them. Yeah. Yeah, Don't I was going to say, failures. I was going to say, it's never a good sign when the first thing you say about a driver is how nice a guy they are. Um, yeah. That's that's often the indicator right there. And another difficult Grand Prix for Albon, a race where he was never really in any sort of contention. The sixth is about par for where that, where that second Red Bull should be, but just largely unimpressive most of the race. And again, and the one man... When, uh, hmm, yeah. Especially when Max... You know, before uh, before the race was looking like he could give the Mercedes something to think about. Dude, those Honda power cars were a weapon in practice and qualifying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. everyone but Albon. Albon, I think they're having to run so much wing on the car just to make him comfortable. He was the slowest driver in the speed traps. Yeah. Slower, yes, slower than the red sleds. More on them later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just just uh, just an incredible weekend for Checo. And as I said on Twitter after the race, I said there is virtually zero justifiable reason at this point for Red Bull to keep Albon over him. It's 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 yeah. it's untenable. Perez, Perez is too good. Perez is going <laughs> from strength to strength while Albon is going from disaster to disaster. He was four laps and a blown engine away from second, third, and first being his last three race results in a racing point. He's on fire right now. Uh, that's not that's yeah. that's not just his old power unit either. Like he is driving as well as he's ever driven in his life. I mean, yeah. like since missing COVID, he has been in the points every Grand Prix but one, and oh, yeah. has been in the top six for over half of those races, including two podium finishes and a win, a win, <laughs> a win in a racing, in a racing point. point, a win. Um, ignore the fact that it's last year's Mercedes. No, Perez has been phenomenal this year. And think about this. Where were we 28 months ago? The team that is now Racing Point is in administration because Sergio Perez brought them into administration to save everybody's jobs in the wake of VJ Malia's disgrace when Force India imploded. Yeah, mm -hmm. he put them in administration explicitly to not have them wound up when there was other, other parties who had not been paid trying to have them wound up with immediate effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Perez is is I've said it before. He's, he's the, the reason that team still exists. <laughs> they are the beating heart and soul of this team, and he's going to be fun employed in in like literally four days time. Um, that is like the it's the Andrea Davizioso effect. 
only again. Um, and uh, it is it is terrifying that there is a. I mean, the, the discourse before this race weekend, because I know Buxton and um, Lawrence Brett have said on the record, it's looking like Albon's going to keep his seat for next year. And it's now getting to the point where it's now genuinely hard to justify well, Albon keeping his seat in, in, in this scenario. Well, the thing is now is it, it seems we have a bit of a power struggle within the ranks of Red Bull where Dieter and Dieter the tie backing... Yeah. And the yeah. tie backing of Red Bull want to keep Albon. Yeah. The team seem to want Albon out of there. The problem is, Dieter pays the bills. Indeed. And that's rare, because he doesn't normally step in in the day-to-day running of that team. By all accounts, it's Horner and Marco's team. Yes, but so, the thing is, Thailand's never had a Formula 1 driver. Well, they... Not since Prince yeah. Bira King... <laughs> Yes, they. No. Thailand hasn't had a Formula One driver in five decades, and Albon, despite not being, despite not being raised in Thailand, and obviously having the surname Albon, uh, like he's still the closest thing to like a national hero that Thailand has. Uh, in yeah, motor he, racing. He, he's the closest thing yeah. to a superstar there. Yeah, Con- even considering yeah. what's go- been going on with him this year. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you said it, Dre. Perez has been so good this year, and it's, it's only getting better. Yeah. And his results, you can argue his results in the last couple races are what is now keeping Racing Point in the fight for third in the Constructors. Because this was a huge day for them. A 1-3, while one McLaren, uh, well, had kind of a bad day. Yeah, so, first... Freaking Northamptonshire-based F1 team victory since Fisichella in Brazil in 2003. Yikes. That's a, first a long time ago for Brazil, with a different For a Mexican name. driver since yeah. Pedro Rodriguez in 1970. Yeah, the 1970 Belgian Grand Prix. There's only the third Mexican F1 win ever. Yeah, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but Pedro Rodriguez was gone not long thereafter that. Yeah, 1971 at the wheel, I believe, of a Ferrari uh, 512M. Man. Obviously, he made his name in the uh, the Gulf Porsches of the day, but he was a damn fast Formula One driver, too. Yeah. To put it into perspective, that's the longest anyone's ever had to go through an F1 career before they got their first win. I think by a good 60-plus races. Yeah, an order of Um, magnitude. I believe it was Mark Webber was the second longest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it was 120-something. Took him Um, a while. Rosberg. Mansell, button. yeah, button was button was one ten and change, I think, as well. Um, yeah, Barrichello yeah. as well, but yeah, it's vindication for all those years that we knew Perez was so much better than the god awful McLaren that he got mm-hmm. one year and was really made the scapegoat for McLaren that year, right? Yeah, the Force India's after and. Mm. He just kept chipping away. Yeah, and the opportunities finally landed for him. And it's, yeah, like I said, it, George Russell, who we'll get to very briefly in a minute, was his first tweet after what had to have been a heartbreaking Grand Prix for him said, and I quote literally, congrats to Sergio Perez, no one on the grid deserved one more. And, you know, says a lot about George Russell, the guy, quite frankly. To put it into perspective, Perez has missed two races, that win has now overtaken Daniel Ricciardo to put him fourth in the championship, despite missing two rounds through COVID-19. Amazing. And it puts Racing Point 10 points ahead of McLaren in the battle for third in the Constructors' Championship with one round to go. It's a, it was an absolutely critical weekend for Racing Point. They had to cash in big, and they did, as, as, uh, as Cam alluded to. Carlos Sainz had a great day in fourth, but Lando Norris struggled all race and ended up in tenth. So, uh, you know, they, they ended up losing 27 points in that swing to against Racing Point, and that could be a death sentence, given that, obviously, midfield points are harder to come by. So uh, you're not you're not going to expect to get the big swings when you're probably going to no. be fighting on paper for fourth and fifth, most likely, compared to wins in second places. Um, now we, we, we have to talk about George Russell. I mean, what an oh. incredible weekend he had. Um, the hype was real. The All hype the hype was... that we talked about and I had confidence that he could live up to it. You know, 
Everybody says you can plug anybody into a Mercedes-Benz and he'll shine. But there are certain intangibles that George Russell displayed with just a weekend of the car in anger and a car that he doesn't even really fit right in. <laughs> he showed stuff that is next level. He showed glimpses of next level um, from the moment he got a start to the moment he built up a lead over a veteran Grand Prix winning teammate to the time when after the first pit stop kerfuffle, he puts on one of the most sensational passes of the season round the outside and inside of Valtteri Botas through the S-curves at the north end of the circuit. Incredibly bright You pass. could not have asked anything more from him performance-wise. It's a shame he doesn't get the result that it deserves. And right, frankly, I'd have been heartbroken if he'd ended up outside the points, but he put on a hell of a last-minute push. He did get some help from a good friend who decided to wave him on by, of course. But hey, he'll take the three points. He doesn't have to be lumped in with Charles Peake and Luca Bador. He has his first <laughs> points. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, uh, here's here's the visual metaphor I wanted to, to describe that situation as. If you didn't know any better, and you put a purple and gold helmet on, you'd think that was Lewis Hamilton in that car. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. narrowly lost out on pole. That has happened to Hamilton over the course of this season with Valtteri. He is Valtteri, to his credit, is genuinely a very good qualifier. He can challenge um, Hamilton over a lap on occasion. If you didn't know any better, you think that was Lewis Hamilton in that car. If you mm-hmm. if you were none the wiser, yeah. he was majestic. That he could not have done any better. I don't normally yeah. quote the redacted on here, but in their driver ratings, they gave him a ten out of ten score, which I think is the only ten I've seen all season. And it yeah. was completely it, it was completely. He deserved. could not have driven better. He was superb. Yeah, I know a lot of people are hyping him up for reasons that they don't necessarily hype up Lewis Hamilton, but. <laughs> that, that doesn't yeah. matter so much, but that doesn't matter as much in this context. George Russell drove fantastically, and man, if I'm Valtteri Botas, I'm thinking, well, I guess I can just take the buyouts, chill at home for a year, and call it a day. Yeah, because, well, there was another Mercedes in the race, and if some of those, if some of those who say, oh, well, plug any top-tier driver into a Mercedes and they win were vindicated, well, maybe they were. But if Lewis lost a couple points of stock, and I'm quoting King before the recording here, Bottas's stock just dropped to Black Monday 1929. <laughs> <laughs> he got clubbed by Russell in the race. Yeah. I, I, I like, Bottas's race could be summed up by the radio message his, his own engineer gave him when he crossed the line, where it's like, Valtteri... Checo won the Grand Prix. He was on older tires than you were. <laughs> oh, man. We've heard, we've, heard it all, we've heard it all before. <laughs> we've heard it all before with Valtteri that, oh, well, this happened and this is why I didn't win. Well, here's the thing. We hear that the Mercedes can't pass in dirty air. Not a problem for Hamilton and Russell. No. Yeah, because nope. at first, we, when, when you hear about that we with hear Hamilton... That Yep. Mm-hmm. When Hamilton and Russell can go scything through a field and Bottas just stays in place. <sighs> what are we going to do with I, Valtteri? Look, because I, it, it seems with almost every weekend his stock gets a little lower and a little lower. I've yeah. tried. I've, I, I've tried with Valtteri. I understand that, like, it's not all on him in the sense of we want him to be the Hamilton threat because we are desperate as, as casuals for entertainment. We want someone to challenge Hamilton. We know that Max hasn't really got the car to do it, so we're all pinning all our hopes on the porridge man in the other side of the garage, and it just hasn't materialised. There was no way Valtteri could have come off this Grand Prix any worse. Like no. it was Russell had it, to do two extra pit stops and fair play to Valter, he was on older tires. But as yeah, King mentioned, that, Perez was on the oldest tires. He went out and won the matter. race in last year's Mercedes. <sighs> Bottas and only beat Russell by three seconds. Not good. Not good. And Russell at all. doesn't fit in the car properly. Russell's to, pressing the wrong buttons on the steering wheel. After his first pit stop, Russell accidentally shut the ERS off on his car. Yeah. 
Ru- Russell and had to walk him through. Yeah. Russell had to take an extra pit stop during the race. Yeah. 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 And because they, they it'd be one thing. And it'd be one thing if Valtteri was the typical number two who accepts his role like the Barrichellos and to an extent the Webbers of the world. And the Irvine. But every, and well the less we talk about Eddie Irvine on this podcast, the better. But we talk mm, about his F three thousand cars. Different. Those look dope. Mm, it, it's that's different. Fair. Like it, it's different. Bottas but... comes into every year when he says, "Oh, I just need to change these couple of things, and I'll beat Lewis." And then Lewis beats him even harder. Yeah, and the thing is, like against Lewis Hamilton, fair. He's statistically the greatest driver the sport's ever seen. But yeah, you're. You Russell's look, had a week in the car. Yeah, Russell has not only has a week in a car, but this is literally his sophomore season in Formula One, and you're you're right. a, a veteran of more than five years. And it's not yeah. just pace; it's racecraft. Russell's move on Bottas was a heart eater. Yeah. He stopped that boy through the middle sector. Yeah, I was gonna one say, of the best passes is... I've seen in F one in the last five years. Yeah, like honestly, this let's not forget, this is only George Russell's thirty seventh Grand Prix. Like yeah. in total. Like and he was wearing size ten shoes when he's a size eleven, and as Vic made a very good point in that chat just now, Mercedes drivers by coincidence have just happened to be quite on the small side. Like that's why their cockpits are so small. Like yeah. the biggest guy Carlos. that had driven one of their cars before was Michael Schumacher, who is five foot nine. George Russell's a legitimate six one. Like, George he's... Russell could probably pay, play point guard if he had trained for basketball instead of automobile racing. Yeah, he's he's six squeezed one. in the car. He's not comfortable. I said he's pressing the wrong buttons on the steering wheel. The place where it almost cost him. If this was twenty sixteen and we still had the radio rules in place, that would have cost him the win even more. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it was at one point in the race where he accidentally like. Not turn off his ERS, but put it in definitely not the optimum setting to be yeah, in. Yeah, well, when you come into when you come into the pits, you turn it down to use as little battery as possible. It's I just was like worried turning about down it at the start. Yeah, yeah. I was worried we about it at the start get because, a like, start. yeah, because yeah. he's just getting used to the steering wheel, and he's coming off of Williams, which is notoriously hard to get off the line. Yeah, he apparently he practiced. Apparently, he took a copy of Mercedes steering wheel, took it home, and practiced that start over a hundred times in his hotel room. Uh, true story. Um, and that's uh, the mentality you gotta have. Because what else are you gonna do in a hotel room when nobody's out doing anything, any social gatherings? Like, can you believe I went to an F one Grand Prix and nobody's out doing anything? This is an outrage. Shut up, Joe. Shut up, Joe. Pipe down over there. It it, it didn't stop Jack Aitken when he found out he was driving the car when he was bollock naked in his hotel room. And I say you gotta celebrate how you can in these bio bubbles. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean that's that's a champion's mentality. That's a future champion's mentality. I'm not good at this. I'm gonna bring this home and I'm gonna learn until I'm good at it. That's the right mentality. Absolutely, and um, he was superb. That's that's the yeah. only way to put it. He will, he could not have driven better, and the only reason he didn't win was, of course, an operational mistake. And you know what? Without that puncture, he was taking about half a second out of Perez every lap, and Perez was him. driving for his life. Yeah, he was gonna he was gonna, he was gonna run down. This. He was gonna run down Perez, and the fact that no doubt, like, despite being you know on hard tires, like. He had the pace. He had the ability to get around on Sergio. On, on on you, know what it you know what yeah. we're reminded me of? That moment we were all there together watching Charles Engine die in Bahrain last year. That's what oh. it felt like when first the ball, the botch pit stop and then the puncture. But you know yeah. what George um, driving this Mercedes reminded me of? It reminded me of what we should have gotten with Jules Bianchi in a Ferrari once he finally ma- would have made that move up. Yeah. That's what I kept thinking of when that's, I saw George in that Mercedes. That's quite poignant. All, all things considered, given he was in, he's a size 11 in size 10 shoes, he was banging his knees against the cockpit of the car. He, he, was, he came out of the car with bloody fists. He got out of the car fists. bloodied. Yeah, bloody fists because he, he couldn't operate his steering wheel properly and he probably should have won that race comfortably. That is an astonishing performance from George Russell, by no matter which way you slice it. Like, 
the way that Toto Wolf described and talked about it after the Grand Prix and, and afterwards to Sky Germany in general, I don't think it's going to be the last time we see George in that Mercedes. Um, I agree. Probably. It might, it might not be the um, last time this year. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. we're recording this the day before we learn whether Lewis Hamilton has, still has COVID or not. We're sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, sorry. Uh, bad, yeah. bad timing on that, but... And Toto Wolf also said something else after the race regarding, uh, well, signing Valtteri Bottas to a 2021 contract early. Well, you have to work with the information you have. Uh, mm. That's the vote. Of, that's a dreaded vote of confidence, isn't it? Oh, oh. I think. But where? I think well, that's but the where, vote of no confidence. Where, where, where was the, where was the confidence being installed <laughs> in that statement? Because I don't see it personally. Um, no, you know, that's the, that's the vote of confidence before. Oh that. yeah. Oh uh, yeah, football very, club very... united just you know decides to sack their tenth manager in the last five weeks. Indeed, indeed. Um, and after all of that, Lewis Hamilton only lost four points in the championship lead. What a weekend off to have! Honestly, Mercedes, you, you could tell Lewis take the rest of the year off. We'll talk the contract over in January. There is no reason that man needs to race this weekend. None. None whatsoever. Tell him to take the weekend off. I don't care. I want to see George again. <laughs> I sound like a fucking fangirl on Twitter. I need to stop. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, can, I um, in, uh, can I get you into the F1, F2 finale before you before you metamorph in a fangirl mode? Oh, no, no. Yes. I, I, I think um, uh, we do just to reiterate what happened to Sergio Perez in that first lap. Uh, mm. Honestly, had it, the start of the race with, you know, the images of last of the race before in my head, uh, I was real nervous for that opening lap. And yeah. <laughs> of course, and it was kind of justified. I, uh, Kimi Rocket is spinning out on turn three. I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, it was like, again. <laughs> yeah, um, very smooth recovery by Kimi to get that back going without even dropping a gear. And then uh, Leclerc just trying too hard, locked up, clattered into Perez, ran Max into the wall, and, uh, well, Ferrari looked pretty trash, and Ferrari was pretty trash. Yeah. The usual. Leclerc was clearly the fastest man, had the fastest setup, and then just chucked it away two you know, quarters you know, into the race. You know, you know I, what's I'm not funny? Even, and received a three-place grid drop for Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Not it's it's it, like you know what's funny, Sebastian Vettel made that comment last week about how Charles takes too many liberties on the opening lap, and I honestly thought Seb had, had gone a, was a bit harsh in that assessment last week because Charles didn't really do anything wrong last week. It was an aggressive, fair move in the end, and there was no contact. So as far as I'm concerned, he's he's good to go. A week later, he does that, and I'm just like, well, maybe Seb had a point. Well, <laughs> the thing is. Seb is generally a driver who's going to, if you're going to try and drive through him, he's going to jump out of the way. Yeah. Perez is not. No. Perez Perez is a driver who says, you want to have an accident, you want to try and make me yield, go ahead, have that accident. This season, I feel like Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen are the only two drivers who can match Lewis Hamilton's level on a consistent basis. On their good days, the problem is on their bad days, they're mm-hmm. just chucking it in the wall. I don't well, like I think that. that's the biggest thing with Lewis is that even if he even if he isn't operating at peak performance, he doesn't really drop off. When Charles has a bad day, he usually takes yeah. four cars out with him in the gravel, and ditto with Max. Uh, <laughs> damn. Yeah. And I really, I just think ch- ch- Charles is trying too hard. V- Vettel, Vettel's really the best course of action with this Ferrari is to just run out the year and Charles is trying to get everything he can. Yeah. And bless him. We're seeing we're seeing the fruits of those approaches right now. Vettel can't yeah. score points and Charles crashes like every two or three races. It's a brutal one. It's a brutal one. Again, just just to further clarify um on the Russell situation again, he was under investigation for running Valtteri Bottas's tires from that double stacked botched error normally under normal circumstances it is up to stewards discretion but they pretty much it's pretty much a disqualification if you run somebody else's tires however 
because of the mitigating factors of one, only George Russell's radio failure, and the fact, well, they kind of got punished enough by having to run Russell through the pits a second time to rectify the error on the on the lap straight afterwards. They only gave Mercedes a twenty thousand euro fine well, instead of a DQ, which is what here's the thing: were if you to. put the wrong tires on, it's okay as long as you correct within three laps. If if they're your own tires, if they're your own tires, if they're your own tires. The thing is, they broke a different rule where he dipped into Valtteri sets, which pushed him over the allocation of thirteen sets for the weekend. Uh, yes, and they broke a different rule, and that's one of the reasons why I I think that's where the stewards' discretion came in. Because yeah, is, normally if you do that, it was a instant, radio error. Yeah, instant disqualification if you normally do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, stewards used their discretion, you know, took into account the radio error um, and the miscommunication and just gave it's a slap on the wrist and a severe wrist slap and they do not do that again, Chief, basically, um, for that one. So uh, yeah, George Russell gets to keep his three points, uh, two for the ninth and then one for the fastest lap of the race. He's on that. the board! Yeah! Yes. Suck it, Latifi! Um, but, uh, <laughs> bad luck, son. Um, I, I feel a bit bad for Latifi in the end, because he was actually going to be ahead of him in the Williams. Drivers' Championship. Williams oh. is like, he's on the board. We're not. <laughs> like, they, oh. they, they, they were knocking on the door. I think Nicholas Latifi was running 12th when his power unit died. It was just yeah. like, oh. Yep, oil been... leak for Latifi's car. Like, I, oh, I wonder. Brutal. I, I wonder if there's ever been a point in the sports history where a team had a driver score points, but they end the they end the season with zero points in the constructors. Amazing, amazing! Like, just, what are the odds on that? Uh, bad luck, Jack. <laughs> uh, hey, who knows? You might you might get another chance this weekend. We'll have to wait and see. But um, look, before we move on to Formula Two, nine out of ten Grand Prix. That's the best Formula One Fantastic. race. Of this year, in my opinion, maybe the best of the last two years, I'd argue, because that was a tremendous race. It was, I, I retrospectively went back and gave Monza a seven because it was it was the emotion and the heartbreak and the fever of one of those properly brilliant emotional sporting stories of Sergio Perez's first win. But we had actual racing too. Yeah, like, it, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, this was Monza with good wheel-to-wheel racing. Yeah, we. I it, love it. It wasn't, you know, wet weather shenanigans or other None. things that just cause chaos. We actually had, you know, actual racing, and it, I, I loved it. I think personally that F one should consider courses with shorter laps, layouts with shorter laps. You don't have to have. 15, 20, 25 quarters per... Okay, it's not going to work with every circuit, but today, Just that day, it worked. Look look at tracks that fit, you know, they fit the bill for F1 in terms mm. of safety and market. But mm. look for something, or try to architect it that will just give us a canvas to produce a good race. I there's mean, too many shit. tracks. There's too many tracks that are trying to be technical for technicality's sake, when really... We just want a fun race. Funny you mention that. We're going to one of those tracks next yeah. week. Oh. Yay. Formula One <laughs> season finale next week in the most dead rubber of dead rubber races. Abby Darby, everybody. Darby. Can, can we run but before the, that, the Formula we... Two review. God. So the feature race. Yuki Tsunoda on pole, Nikita Mazepin takes the whole shot, spent most of the race trying to ram his rivals into the wall. The race, though, culminates in an incredible dogfight between Yuki Tsunoda for the win. He breaks off with Guan Yu Zhou. Mazepin scraps for everything he's got worth for third ahead of Dragovich until he gets hit with not one, but two five-second penalties for aggressive defending, dropping him to ninth. Now, of course, this is all in the manner of this there's this title fight going on. Five drivers entered it still mathematically eligible, technically speaking, but realistically it's down to two people. Callum Eilat, who again isn't coming back to F2 next year, doesn't have an F1 drive, and Mick Schumacher, who's got the F1 drive locked up. Eilat finishes fifth. Schumacher finishes sixth, so the gap's now down to 14 points between the only two title contenders left, and it's 15 points for a win. Two points bonus for fast slap yeah. in the sprint so go, race. 
Yeah, okay, RJ, but going into the final race, it would mean Arlott would need second and fastest lap minimum to have any chance of the title. Yes, with a Schumacher non-score. Yeah, Schumacher would have exactly. to not score points. So things are effectively out of his hands if Mick is in the points. Yeah. So we go then Funny to that. the sprint race. <laughs> early Sunday morning. Too damn early for me. I've just yeah. watched a very good Super Formula race. And I've just woken up. Dan Tictum takes the reverse grid pole. We love Dan Tictum, don't we? He led early <laughs> on, and then Mick Schumacher suffered a disaster as he flat spots his front left tire just seconds into the race. He held on early on, but eventually fell down the points position so badly he had to pit with 15 laps left, ending his points haul for the season. So now he's vulnerable to be overtaken by Callum Island if he has a good race. But back and forth... Jahan Daruvula broke off from the pack to win his first F2 race. Sunoda passes Tictum at the final quarter to make it a Carlin 1-2 with Tictum in third. And Callum Islet falls into 10th place late with tire issues of his own. And your 2020 Formula 2 champion of the world, Mick Schumacher. Yeah! Woo! Schumacher world champion just uh, sounds right. It feels it just feels right. right. Yeah. It's beautiful. We need to mention. Yes, Mick Schumacher did flat spot his tire seconds into the race. Hmm. But Mick Schumacher realized something during this year. Something that he's been using to great effect. I don't necessarily have to win. Mm-hmm. I just have to make sure the other guy loses. <laughs> and when Callum Eilat caught him, Mick Blocking. put on the most ferocious defensive masterclass I've ever seen him put on. Back the wagon ruined, up. <laughs> yep. Back that ass up into every corner. And he he wrecked Eilat's tires before pitting for himself. Yep. And Eilat yep. tried to hold on as best he could, but he wasn't going to win anyways. Yeah. The win was far out of reach. And then his own tires finally gave out with laps to go. Yeah. He fell yeah. down through the field. And even Schumacher, when he pitted for fresh tires, he went back out there, got fastest lap. So in case something were to happen and he finishes 10th, he doesn't score one point. He scores three points. So even if Eilat won the race and won the race, there was nothing that Eilat could have done to win the championship. Yeah, right, they, they right. played it perfectly where Primer realized, all we have to do is get fast to slap and it becomes an almost untenable situation for Eilat. Yeah. Exactly. The, the scoreboard and, uh, was always in Mick's favor. Yep. He and, was uh, mixture consistency. Brilliant off the line. Consistent scoring points. Even when we were worried if he didn't have that killer instinct early in the season. Believe it or not, with how chaotic this season was, he was just simply going out there consistently scoring in the points. I don't know. I think that killer instinct showed up in the last few races. Oh, he, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He, the he last few races a lot in terms of racecraft. And year two Mick is a thing. Yeah, like, yeah. are we picking him for 2022 F1 World Drivers Champion? I don't know. <laughs> I, hope, I hope he gets through 2021 okay first. I mean, Haas is going to have some Resta, <coughs> and I know. Oh Cam my is God, not we didn't even mention that. Yeah, Ferrari just oh. gave one of their best technical people to Haas. They're, be- they're uh, only technical person. They already <laughs> did be- this. Remember 2019? Be- yeah, that happened be- because they gave away their chief designer in mid 2018 to Alfa Romeo. Now they're doing it again for Haas. Because they're going to be damned if their prize prospect is going to suffer the way that Grogro and K-Mag have done in that piece of shit. And remember how good the 2019 Alfa was out of the box? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How good was it towards the end of the season? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. For, yeah, they're just going to let Charles and Sign suffer while Haas shines, I guess. Yeah. Can I? Can I? <laughs> uh. Dre, Dre's, Dre's just slammed his light in protest. Slammed his halo light. I, I want to wrap this up on a, on a couple of notes here. Mick Schumacher was excellent. Callum Eilat should be racing somewhere season? next year. I don't care yeah. if it's F1 or anywhere else. 
Sign this kid. He is Yeah, I think this would be a good time for me to just run through the final standings. If you guys have anything to say about any of the drivers, just chime in. Oh, I've got something to say for number three. So, oh boy. our champion, Mick Schumacher, 215. Vice champion, Callum Eilat, 201. Mm-hmm. Third place in the Deserves championship. Deserves a ride somewhere. Third, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, third place in the championship. Yuki Sonoda on two hundred. Tremendous <laughs> season. Yuki Sonoda is fifteen the, points off the time. Surprise of the year for me. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. He I almost he smashed and grabbed second on the way out. <laughs> he, he, I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know he was going to be that good that soon. He got the Pirelli Trophy voted on as the most outstanding driver in F two and F three. By the media. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He and I can't ready argue with that. Yeah, and if he gets the call-up to AlphaTauri next year for Honda's last year in this stint in F1, it will be fully deserved. Absolutely. I just hope Red Bull doesn't chew him up and spit him back out. God, I hope not. Kid's good. Yeah. Kid's very good. Fourth in the Best championship, Robert Swartzman, 177. Mm-hmm. Uh, Learn to manage to your tires, and he's going to be a weapon. Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean, title favorite next it's year. it's it's hard. He did have a okay rookie year, but the thing is, mm. he was fourth in the championship, but still the second rookie. Which yeah, it just said, that, it, I think it that says speaks more to about the quality the of the rookie class. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's it says more about the field than it does about Schwartzman. Who let's not forget won more races in the in the Formula Two this year than anybody else with four. Um, yeah. His if he gets were the... higher than anyone else's, he just got to work on the troughs. Yeah, exactly. Look, if he gets his tire management in order, he is sensationally fast when he wants to be. Like, disgustingly quick. Maybe the best upside of anyone in the series um, if he's dialed in right. And if that happens, everybody look out. Yeah. Okay, so fifth place in the championship. Uh, Nikita Mazepin on 164. More on him later. Sixth place, Christian Guan Yu Zhou. Seventh place, Christian Lungard. Eighth, Louis Delatraz. Ninth, Lika Drogovic. Tenth, Luka Giotto. Yeah, as Man. by all accounts, it seems like all these drivers from uh, under fifth will be back next year. Uh, yeah. I think... I think Guan Yu needs to give himself less work to do on race day, but uh, he has really great race craft. He has good tire management. I think he has a lot of upside. Do not sleep on Jahan Daruvula. If that last race and if his testing form is anything to go by, this dude is going to make a massive leap forward in 2020. In F2, I think he was the most improved driver across the season. Uh, Across the second half of the season, I agree. And look, he had the speed. It was a matter of getting the car to the line. Yeah. And now that he's working Uh, that out, he's getting good results. Yeah. I love Formula 2. And he's the fastest in postseason testing. I love Mm -hmm. Formula 2, man. We got nothing, people. We got nothing. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to mention Christian Lungard as well. He might be another guy. I, I think it could be Schwartzman, Drogovic, and Lungard for the title next year, and that would be very spicy indeed. Ooh, and there are a lot of people story. who want to make that a bit wider because we got rookies coming in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Oscar Piastri coming in. Um, Piastri's <laughs> dummy fast today. <laughs> yeah, Theo Pocher coming in next year. Yuri Phipps coming in next year. Um, there's a lot of talent on the outside looking in. Um, a lot a to look Very highly to. rated talent. Oh, God. Yeah. A lot of hype um, you could say that Formula 2 and Formula 3 have way too many gimmicks with reverse grid races and compounds of tires, and I get all that. But ultimately speaking, the best drivers still rise to the top of the pile. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah. And yeah, what a fantastic season it was in Formula 2. The first season I've watched every single race, and it was tremendous all the way through from top to bottom. An incredible... like This is a real golden age for young driving talent right now in Formula 2 and 3. Um, you know, we're going to be seeing, like, Theo Porsche coming in. He was born in 2003, and he's going to be, like, on paper, maybe the 6th or 7th best guy coming into the series next year. That's terrifying to me. Um, so, you know, it is an incredible set of talent. Can't wait for Formula 2 and Formula 3, and we'll probably give them even more focus. And thanks, Formula 1, for spreading them out a bit more so we don't have to 
to have like 90 minute long Formula 1 episodes next year because the bloody juniors are so goddamn good. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know. What, what, what do you mean? Shame about what do you the mean? We're going to have three races each weekend any of these series show up for. Yes! Oh, yeah. More races! More! Um, can't oh, wait. Yeah. W Series is back on some of these rounds too. So we mm-hmm. get even more Junior Formula Racing to compliment our More effort. racing. More, 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 more. Formula um, Renault Euro Cup is back too. Formula Regional indeed. European, I should say, but with Renault engines. It's all going to be good fun with, as far as that goes. Yeah, um, indeed. Um, and yeah, as far as I'm concerned, can't wait for next year. But uh General housekeeping before we get out of town, um, you know where to find us. YouTube.com forward slash motorsport101. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our website, motorsport101.com. And our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. If you'd, back, if you'd like to back us financially. In closing, RJ, the floor is yours. Okay. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about manners of, um, of, Potential sexual assault. Actual sexual assault. You know, I'm not actually sure when this episode is going to go public. You know, I appreciate everybody that's been so patient. Um, because we are uh, a hardworking crew of independent journalists. And, and we try not to pull any punches. And we and we try not to bullshit our audience. You know, I'm not sure when this episode's going to go public. But we recorded this on Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. And... This is the day that a very disturbing video was posted to Nikita Mazepin's Instagram profile, showing the 21-year-old driver reaching to grab the breast of his friend and model Andrea Duval, seated in the passenger seat alongside Mazepin as she appears to push his hand away from her. Now, this was posted a week following Mazepin's official confirmation as a 2021 Formula One World Championship racing driver to the Haas F1 team, partnering fellow rookie prospect Mick Schumacher during which time another young woman who is active on F1 social media posted screenshots of Bazepin attempting to solicit for explicit photographs through private messages on Twitter. I can say this in all confidence that Makita Mazepin, and I feel very strongly about this, especially this morning when I woke up to the news, Nikita Mazepin has brought motor racing into disrepute today, especially Formula One. And this goes far beyond any of his previous outbursts of poor behavior that he's demonstrated. Because, yes, there was in 2016, he had that punch-up with Callum Eilat in F3. Uh, Callum Eilat, the Ferrari Driver Academy prospect, many now rightly feel should have been selected to partner Schumacher at Haas instead of Mazepin. You know, it goes far beyond toxic banter among his fellow F2 and F1 drivers, making insinuations about Russell's sexuality on Instagram. It goes beyond lashing out at Yuki Tsunoda after their battle at Spa Frankershop or driving multiple people to the pit wall to egregiously defend his position at the final round of an F2 campaign that, save for that, if you judge it just on his results and nothing else, this should have been a breakthrough for a driver who has improved by leaps and bounds in his second season and genuinely on the results alone would have warranted a place on the Formula 1 grid. And yes, it's true. He has financial considerations that also played a massive role in getting there to begin with, because his father, Dmitry Mazepin, is worth over $7 billion as of 2018. He is the chairman and majority shareholder of one of Russia's largest chemical and fertilizer manufacturers. He's invested heavily in Makita's career among the many charitable donations that he's made, while him and his company have also been accused of fraud, conflict of interest, Ruthless acquisitions of rival companies in the field to build their grip on the industry, all with the blessings of a ruthless and corrupt government under Vladimir Putin that tramples on the lives of people who want their homeland to be a better place, a more inclusive place for us all. I think this past week, and especially today, has become apparent that of the many things Dmitry Mazepin has invested in on behalf of his son's career in motor racing, the one thing that he has not bought for his son is how to treat other people with basic respect. And I think that much is evident in that Nikita has not apologized today for the choices he made in person, these terrible choices. He's only apologized for the trouble that his own appalling behavior has caused him as a professional. Not for the offenses himself, but just how it affects his career. Now, Haas F1 team already issued a statement today condemning his behavior. And now in the days to come, they sit between two choices. 
keeping their brand new driver and the Mazepin family's financial interests within the team in an attempt to keep them in operation or doing the right thing. It's not just a matter of him being just another rich kid with money diluting the talent pool either. You know, you have Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. They are billionaires' sons. They've been lambasted by sections of the racing media for their massive wealth and the perceived gap between their talent and their wealth, at least on the surface. But at least on the surface, they don't act in a manner that is unbecoming, not only of a young professional racing driver, but as a young person in society at large. It's very clear to me, and it's very clear to every one of us, that Nikita Mazepin is a corrupted, disturbed young man who needs corrective action that cannot and should not be undertaken while continuing a career in the highest levels of motor racing. And this is why we all believe that he should be stripped of his competition license with haste for putting the sport into disrepute. If he's given a second or a third chance, it would come at the expense of another driver's first or second chance, be it a second chance for a veteran like Sergio Perez, Nico Hulkenberg, Alexander Albon, or any other driver just trying to stay in the sport at all, or it could be at the expense of a first chance for a rookie like Callum Islet or Pietro Fittipaldi, Jack Aitken, who would love to have this full-time opportunity that Mazepin has been in store. I fear, and I think a lot of us fear, that this disturbing behavior will effectively go unpunished. I fear that the leadership of Haas F1 team will see the Mazepin family's wealth as being so alluring and so essential that no amount of toxic behavior would dissuade them from cutting him loose so long as he's licensed to compete in the sport. And, you know, even if he was expelled from F1, the roaring trend nowadays is that wherever he would show up next race, there would be this loud swath of people who would attempt to reconstruct the narrative that is being written today. They'll say that, oh, Mazepin is a true unheralded talent who was cast out of Formula One because of cancel culture and social justice worries. It's something that that effect. And that's ultimately a side effect the way that extremists in our society have attempted to undermine people who would dare be brave enough to speak about it, but the poor behavior of others in so many other fields of entertainment. You know, in closing, I'd like to go ahead and say that, you know, we retract our previous statement saying that his backing and skill are an asset to this F1 team. Nobody's skill is worth that. Nobody's wealth is worth that. Nobody's skill and wealth is worth the harm that he's caused and may continue to cause in the future if this goes unchecked. Nikita Mazepin should not be certified to race in Formula One or anywhere else for a long, long while. And I hope that Haas F1 team will do the right thing, give someone else a first or second chance. has been much more deserved for them. Thanks for listening. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. For Cam Buckley, for Ryan King, for Dre Harrison, I'm RJ O'Connell. Thank you.